Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Creeps, cults, ghosts, guys named Jerry. This is your one-stop shop. If you like all that weird shit, join me. I'm Casey Balsham. I'm a comedian and I am fascinated by dark, twisty, and shady ass shit. On the Shady Shit Podcast, we're going to cover all the topics ranging from living in a haunted house to dating app scammers to Lizzie Borden and everything in between. Every Friday, I'm going to break down well-known and little-known stories that are sure to induce just a bit of discomfort. I am so looking forward to making your weeks just a little bit weirder. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. It's your host, Olivia Perez. I'm a journalist, interviewer, and the creator of Friend of a Friend, a show where we sit down with some of my friends, your friends, and new friends to host inspiring but down-to-earth conversations with some of my favorite luminaries who are making good change. It feels so good to be saying that intro again because we are back for a new year. Happy New Year to everybody because we haven't connected since last year. And this is our first episode of 2021. I can't believe that I'm saying that. But I am so excited for this new year. I'm so excited for new episodes. I'm so excited to connect with you guys in deeper ways. And I'm really excited for today's episode because it's going to be my first solo episode ever. (laughs) You know, I've really loved connecting with everybody in the past two years of doing this pod, whether it's through DMs, reviews, or just one-on-one conversations, even with my guests. And I'm excited to be doing that in a deeper way today. We're going to be doing a mailbag type episode. So all those Q&As that people have submitted, or if you've emailed me and asked questions about starting a pod, or you've DM'd me about advice about going to college or starting a new job right out of college, I'm going to be answering a lot of those today. So I hope you guys love today's episode. I am so excited to hear your thoughts. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet and you find yourself coming back and listening, take the time to subscribe. If you love the show, share it with your friends. And I really love seeing when you guys are listening and you take a screenshot. Make sure when you do, tag at Liv Perez with two Vs. That's me on Instagram. I always reshare as you guys are listening. Again, I'm at Liv Perez with two Vs on all social platforms. It's been so much fun engaging with you guys on here, and I'm really excited to answer all of your questions. So I'm going to attempt to order them in some sequential order from, you know, childhood on so you can get to know me a bit better from the beginning uh, to where I'm at now. Someone asked where I was born. I was born in Los Angeles. I've lived in New York for the past nine years, but now I'm back in Los Angeles. I moved back in the middle of COVID, I'd say around last March or April, because my family's here. I'm from here. My boyfriend lives here. And it just felt like a good, safe move during that time because everything was so uncertain. But that being said, I really grew up in New York. I moved there when I was 18 for college. And I feel like it's those like years between 18 to 25 are like so important for a young person. Like everything you're surrounded by, whether it's like people, spaces, places, all those things really influence who you turn into as an adult. And so I think even though people are always like, where are you from? 
I say LA, but there's a big part of me that I feel like is still really shaped by New York. It's been amazing to be home and be surrounded by family, but I really see myself kind of having a dual life there because I find so much creativity living in that city. What's your family dynamic like? So my family is probably the most unconventional family as it gets. I come from a very blended family, like Brady Bunch to a T. I'm one of five girls, so I have four sisters. And both my parents were really successful entrepreneurs, which was so much fun as a kid to be around just because I got to see them hustle in their own way. My dad had his own fashion business and my mom was a photographer. So both really creative entrepreneurs, uh, which was really fun for me to be around. You know, we didn't have like any doctors in my family, nothing on, on the more academic side. All my family, all of us were artists. My sister was studying theater. My other sister was studying fashion design. My older sister did a bunch of different things also in the fashion space. So it definitely was a like melding pot of just so many different ideas and and creativity. But, you know, my parents had been married a few different times. So all of my siblings, besides my youngest sibling and I, who's Mia, are half sisters. But what was really great about it was that my parents really did a good job of like keeping us all together. Like we had family dinners together all the time. But at the end of the day, everybody had a little bit of someone else in them. So sitting at this dinner table with, you know, a bunch of different personalities was always really fun and and a great way to grow up in terms of understanding different perspectives and ideas. I'm always grateful that I came from a big family because it's just one giant support group. Someone asked this question. I, I loved it. I think it's such an interesting thing to think about when we think about our childhoods and how we evolve into doing what we want to do. Someone said, were you always encouraged to pursue your goals? And I think that's so interesting. That question and then looking back on my childhood made me smile so much because I was always encouraged to pursue my goals. I grew up competitive dancing. I loved ballet. I was that kid that was there like nine to five on the weekends, both days. I was in class every night after school until eight. It was a real passion of mine. And I definitely thought I was going to become a dancer. Like definitely my early teens, it was something that I wanted to do. But because of that, I think my parents like never questioned me. Like because I had that discipline and I had that sort of independence in a way, like I was never home. I was always on my own in class and it was my responsibility to show up to class. And the other thing that I think about dance that is so cool is it's the same thing as playing sports. You really do learn this type of independence while you're there because you are responsible to hold up whatever role you have in that team. So I think because of the fact that I was so disciplined and diligent and scheduled, my parents really never questioned what I wanted to do. And I was really ambitious as a kid. I loved having a full schedule. There was never enough things for me to do in the day. I have a really strange memory of me as a kid on like days off or like weekends or whatever it was, I would give myself homework. Like I'd give myself math homework and English homework and like force myself to do all these things and play school, which I know a lot of kids do. But when I think about it, it's actually so strange. But I was always really ambitious and I admire that drive in me. I think it's it's such a weird thing to think about, but it's definitely been a part of who I am forever. And I think that's why I've been able to do what I've been able to do. Honestly, if you ask my parents right now, I don't think they could say what I do, which is totally fine. But, you know, again, they're still not questioning it 27 years later. I think it was all of those experiences that really led me to storytelling and where I am now. I look back on my years dancing and I'm always like, wow, like that was such a cool way to introduce me to storytelling. You know, I'd be on stage in front of hundreds of people. I had to play a role without using words. 
and bring that audience into my world and tell them about the story that I was in. And I remember that feeling of being able to captivate an audience and really bring them out of their own world and into somebody else's. And I think what was always so beautiful about that was just being able to tell the, the thousands of different stories that I told over my dance years, whether it was, you know, the Nutcracker or Hansel and Gretel and just a ton of other, you know, dances that I used to do and ballets that I used to do. I think that always really attracted me. And if you guys, if some of you listening have been following me for a long time, you know that I worked on a book a few years ago called Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies. It's by a really good friend of mine, Scarlett Curtis, who lives in London. She basically did a compilation of, I think, 50 plus essays from women all around the world, different industries. I know Emma Watson has one in there. Jamila Jamil has one in there. And it's all about your first experience with feminism. And when she asked me to write a chapter, I was like, oh my God, like, I write news articles, I can write a podcast episode, but writing a story that's kind of going to be in a book forever was a really daunting challenge for me. But instinctually, the first thing I thought about in terms of my relationship with feminism was those dance years, was standing up on stage, being center stage, and also being surrounded by a ton of women and never questioning that. Like knowing that I could be center stage in a spotlight and a hundred people can be looking at me and no one's going to look at me any other way because I'm a woman and that women are allowed to demand that spotlight. I think that was super transformative for me and a really, really crucial reason of why I'm doing what I'm doing today. And it's really been fun to watch that storytelling evolve, whether it was through dancing. When I was traveling around the world, I was doing a ton of photography, which I still love to do today for fun. And that's just been a thread throughout my life. And it's nice to see it all be woven into the fabric of what I'm doing now. Now, I get a lot of questions from people, especially college students on Instagram, um, even people that are listening to the show and are looking for advice. And it brings me so much joy that kids and teenagers that are about to start a really cool chapter in their life come to me for advice. So many questions were submitted about my NYU experience. And that's really exciting to hear that so many of you listening or people that follow me want to go to New York and experience it, but are also looking for tips and tricks into how to get into school and what to do while you're there. While I'm going to disclaim that NYU is a totally different school than I think most schools because of the fact that it's a city, you don't really have a closed campus. We don't have a football team, which I think is a big thing that a lot of people obviously love to go to college for. So I'm going to disclaim that while I'm talking about this because I'm sure every school experience is different. But I chose NYU because I was really adamant on being in a city school. I knew that my other school that I really wanted to go to was Brown, but I just didn't feel like being in Rhode Island would have given me the same resources and opportunities that studying in New York would have done. And I totally stuck to that. Like, the day I got to New York, before I had even started classes, I was applying for internships because I was so excited to just like dip my feet in and see exactly what was going on in the fashion and editorial world in New York. Granted, if you are applying to NYU, you're actually not allowed to intern your first semester as an NYU student. They really want you to immerse yourself in the school and like get acclimated before you take on a job and school at the same time. I got pretty lucky. I ran into an old friend my first week of living in New York and had told her why I had moved and what I was going to study and what I was really excited to do. The next day, she shoots me a text and she's like, hey, I have a friend who actually works at Teen Vogue and is looking for an intern. Would you be interested in, in going and applying? I literally, like the second, I responded within seconds. I was up at Times Square the next morning and I got the internship. 
But at NYU, because they don't let you do it, let you take an internship, I actually had to petition to allow myself to take that internship. When I say that Teen Vogue was like my dream senior year internship, I totally mean it. So to get this internship so early on was, I was euphoric. And it definitely was a crazy moment filing that petition and explaining why I was adamant on doing the internship and how I could handle it. But it really was a lesson for me at that moment that never take no for an answer. Like you can 100% go and do and get whatever you want, especially if you can make the case for the fact that it's going to benefit you in your academic career. So again, anybody applying to college right now, you know, for me, it was about being in a city school, but I really think that no matter where you are, if you just take advantage of what the city has to offer and get as much experience as you can while you're there and learning, that's what made my college experience. And that's why I really had this like strong gravitational pull to go and study in New York. Someone asked about my educational experience and what classes I liked. So I went to Gallatin, which is individualized study. You essentially make your own major, which sounds really fun until you are 18 years old, you move to New York and they give you literally 2000 classes to pick from and you have to make your own major. Sounds fun, but it was really intimidating. But I think the most impactful class that I took was actually a law class, which yes, shocking. Why was I in a law class? I was really, I was on the verge of starting friend of a friend and I had zero law experience. Granted, this was entertainment law. It was part of my business minor, but I wanted to have some baseline information about law that would help me excel in an entertainment editorial world. But it actually was my teacher in the class that made it that impactful. He was so supportive and so helpful in that class that he actually at the end of my semester, agreed to be the lawyer that would execute all the paperwork for me to start friend of a friend. And without that class, I wouldn't have had any of that knowledge. And so, you know, I think obviously taking classes that have to do with what you want to study is important, but I would always say like, take that business class, take that finance class, take that law class, because those are the classes that are actually going to be the backbone of whatever it is that you want to do. And you'll probably meet people that will help you along the way. And that actually was a big part of what helped me settle into New York. I got so many questions about this was like, how do you, and especially now, I feel like a lot of people have moved cities and so many people are constantly asking me, how have you settled into living into a new city? How did you settle living into New York? And disclaimer, I was born and raised in Los Angeles, so I don't feel like I'm moving to a new city. I definitely feel like a different person in my hometown again. And that's been a really interesting thing to go through. But When it comes to living in a new city, I would say so much of it has to do with the community that you build around you. And I think people are always like, how do I make friends? How do I go on dates? And for me, the biggest hack in that has always been like building a community around things that you love. That's how you're going to find the people that resonate with you the most. So when I was at NYU, obviously like joining a sorority, like all of that is not really existent. So I joined my fashion magazine club. I joined the fashion club at Gallatin. And I made so many friends in those bubbles that are actually in similar fields than me today. And we talk all the time. We help each other out. And that, I think, is a, is it such a big networking hack. It's like the people that you want to meet and you want to be around and will actually help you acclimate to a place are people that you share a common ground with. And again, like I was saying earlier, my internships were so important for my life in New York. Because at the end of the day, I would go to class and then I would go to my internships. And I was surrounded by so many people who were a bit older than me, but were excelling in the profession that I wanted to excel in. 
And, you know, the person who hired me at Teen Vogue is still a big mentor of mine today. We still talk all the time. And being able to go out and have kind of this different life in New York while also being, you know, having my life at school was so important for me in terms of like feeling grounded and feeling like there was someone that was taking me under their wing and kind of showing me the ropes. It's also, by the way, how I learned the subway the quickest. Learning how to go from NYU to Times Square every day, running errands, getting things done for my boss. Like that is how you will learn the New York subway when you're forced to. I've been getting a question a lot lately that I think is really interesting. And my intern, Elisa, shout out Elisa. She is what really makes the wheels of this show spin round. She's at USC right now, but it's something that she and I often talk about. And I've noticed lately so many people are DMing me about when it comes to advice. What is it like graduating college? And what do you do in that time frame? And I've had so many people ask me, like, what's your best piece of advice for people just fresh out of school? For me, right out of school, even though I was doing my own thing, I had friend of a friend, I was working with brands, and I was really kind of dabbling in the influencer world in New York at that time because it was really up and coming. I still made it an effort and made it a priority for me to take a full-time job out of school because I knew that it was so important for me to learn process and management and working for someone else and continue to kind of grow my network in New York. So for all of you who are doing your own thing in school right now, you know, there's an episode that I love that we did a few months ago with Alex Lieberman. He's the founder of The Morning Brew. And he did the same thing where he left school and he was like, no, 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 I needed six months to kind of figure out where my company was going. I needed a buffer period. And so one, I think that's really important if you are working on your own thing or if you have your own goals of starting your own thing, take a job for the first couple of years. Really, really, really understand your industry, what it's like to work for other people, what it's like to manage people and build that thing on the side. That's my first piece of advice. My second is learn how to save your money. And I think there are so many like tips and tricks in that. Like, I wish I learned how to cook earlier on. I would have saved so much money. Living in New York, I'd go out for dinner all the time. I'd Postmate, I'd Uber Eats, whatever it is. Learning how to cook and figuring out how to manage groceries is crucial. Crucial. Like one week at the market is like two meals out in New York. You really can save a lot of money in that. But another thing that I really encourage a lot of people to do early on, and especially in those first few years out of college, is invest your money if you can. And I have a few friends that use an app called Acorn and they love it. It's just a couple dollars every month that they're putting towards a company and seeing grow. And I think if you look around at your life and you see all the things that you're using, like sitting around me right now is a MacBook, an iPhone, an iPad, and I had Chloe B. McKenzie, who's a financial artist on a couple months ago. And she talked a lot about this concept of like, let's put our money where we're actually spending it. So if you're someone that you notice, you know, you, you use a lot of Apple products, invest a little bit in Apple, even if it's just one stock. Same thing with, even if it's just one stock, I think understanding one, how the markets work, but two, putting your money where you're actually spending it is a great way to start investing for beginners. So again, I think Acorn's a great app to do that. But then also like take inventory of your life. Like what are you using a lot that you also want to support and you believe in and you want to put your money to work? And all of these things that I just said aren't like, like we, what we said at the beginning of this episode, like don't make them a resolution for the day that you quit college. Start thinking about them while you're in college. Take a cooking class in school. Take a finance class in school. Like do all these things so that the day that you graduate, you're already on the pathway to doing all those things. 
college was so much fun for me. I am so grateful I got to, you know, have my start in New York and do it there. And to any of you listening right now, my DMs are always open if you have any questions about college, college classes, the experience, how to get an internship. I'm always a resource to you guys because I had such a great experience and I really want to push that on other people to put themselves out there and and try to have a great experience as well. We'll be right back after a quick break. If you're like me and are a massive fan of Beekeepers Naturals, keep listening. And for those of you who are loyal listeners of the pod, you are no stranger to Carly Stein, the founder who's actually joined us on the podcast before. But if you are meeting them for the first time, Beekeepers Naturals is disrupting the conventional medicine cabinet by creating nature-powered medicine that actually works. My friends at Beekeepers Naturals use a very special, potent natural ingredient called propolis. And if you haven't heard about it yet, it is time that you hear what the buzz is all about. Bee propolis acts like the bee's medicine, and it also contains over 300 vitamins and minerals that are beneficial to the human immune system. Take bee immunity propolis throat spray as a daily ritual to support your immune system or spray it to soothe a scratchy, uncomfortable throat. The propolis throat spray has truly become a game changer for me. As someone with an autoimmune who is constantly trying to keep up her immune system, a few sprays of bee propolis in the morning have made all the difference for me. Also, if you're someone who talks like me for a living, it has become a crucial part of my daily prep for podcasts and speaking engagements, coating my throat, and soothing any scratches. And for a limited time, Beekeepers Naturals is offering you guys an exclusive deal. They will ship you a free two-week supply of Bee Immune Propolis Throat Spray. You just pay $5 for shipping. Guys, that is the deal of a lifetime. To claim this deal, you must visit beekeepersnaturals.com slash friend. This deal is not available on their regular website. So be sure to go to B-E-E-K-E-E-P-E-R-S-N-A-T-U-R-A-L-S.com slash friend because this deal is only available for a limited time. Start prioritizing your immune health today. And if you don't love it, they will refund your $5. No questions asked. You can also find Beekeepers Naturals nationwide in 2000 stores like Target, Whole Foods, and Sprouts. And don't forget to go check out our podcast with their founder, Carly Stein, which is live now on our podcast page. Now let's get back to the show. I'd love to pivot out of college a little bit and talk about the show because one thing that makes me smile all the time is how many people talk to me and are so curious about what it means to build a show. And I think right now, if we look around, there are literally a billion podcasts. And while that's quite overwhelming for some, or, you know, I, I remember seeing something funny last year that was like, the new back tattoo is having a podcast. <laughs> and that made me laugh because I feel like it is true. A lot of people have a show right now. And there's a lot of great quality shows out there. And so, you know, it's really exciting for me when people reach out and they're like, hey, how did you actually start this? Like, what equipment did you need? What goes into the back end? How do you pick your guests? How do you choose your questions? Like, that's so exciting for me to hear because it means that people are interested in this. People want a story tell. I do have one golden rule when it comes to starting a podcast, though. And that's if you don't have a point of view and you're not willing to insert that point of view at all times, no matter what, it's not going to stand out from the rest. And I think, again, that point of view can evolve over time. If you have an idea, great, plant the seed, do a couple episodes, watch it grow. I can totally say that that was me. If you've been listening for a long time, you know that our first year, we only had one episode a month. I was planting my seeds. I was figuring out, okay, do I like this format? How much do I want to really be a part of it? Do I want my guests to speak more? How do I storytell and bring my story into it? 
And, you know, that's taken me quite some time. So I think for people who want to get in there, figure out your perspective, know that it's not going to come in the first episode, but really be willing to put the time and commitment in to plant your seeds over time because the seeds will grow tenfold if you really put in the effort and continue to work at your own voice. So let's talk about the pod. Now we're here. It's been about, goodness, it's over almost at two years now, which is so crazy. We have over 60 episodes, some incredible people who I'm, I'm so grateful to for coming on and supporting me early and also sharing their story. I would say last year, my favorite two episodes, Maggie Rogers to open up the year last year was amazing. Her story is just so cool. We actually went to NYU together, so I've known her for quite some time. And it was awesome to hear the way that she has built a business around herself and is really just a true vulnerable artist. So it was amazing to talk to her. And then another artist I loved was Noma Dumezwini. She played Haley Fitzgerald, the little lawyer in HBO's The Undoing, which a bunch of us I know were obsessed with last year. And that was really fun. It was really fun to get to watch that with all of you and then also have DMs being like, oh my God, does she know who did it? Did she tell you? And I'm like, guys, she's obviously not going to tell me. So that was an amazing episode. She is just such a free spirit and such an artist. And we had such a great conversation about the filming of that show and who she is as an artist. We had an amazing conversation at the end about self-doubt that I think if you are like any person that suffers from self-doubt or insecurity in any way, she was such a ray of light to really talk to and just decompress a little bit. So I would say if you are new to the show and you're getting to know me right now, go listen to those two. They were two of my favorites. On that note, people always ask, what goes into picking guests? So I have a really interesting process. Here's the the way that I can sum it up is I want to find someone who is changing things up, who is doing something really, really cool and actually making an impact on society, but you don't know them. So for me, it's like, okay, the Forbes 30 under 30 list comes out. The Grammy nominees come out. And by the way, we have an amazing Grammy nominee coming on in two weeks. Can't wait for you guys to listen to that episode. But, you know, those lists come out. I'm going to scan them. I'm going to go through. I'm going to look at all these people. And I'm going to find that one person who you've never heard of, but is doing something so cool on that list. Those are my diamonds. Those are the people that I'm so excited to hear from. And no shame to other people who are like constantly in the media and constantly in the press, like zero shame there. But like, I get so excited when I find someone that I'm like, huh, I feel like this story could be told in a louder way. My actually favorite part of producing the show is sitting down and looking at like my next 10 episodes and being like, okay, who are we going to talk to? How can we fill a roster of people from every single demographic, whether it's artists, musicians, politicians, actors, actresses, whatever it is, like That's always where I get the most excitement, figuring out how I can create a show that speaks to all of you. You know, I kind of, I think of the podcast as a school and everyone that comes on is a teacher from a different walk of life, teaching a different lesson that day. And my goal is always, did my audience just walk away having learned something new or having built empathy for a person that maybe they didn't know of before? That's always my goal. And it's really exciting when I accomplish that and when this community really responds to someone new on the show. What does prep look like? Do you do pre-interviews, review topics before? I go crazy on prep. Again, I went to journalism school. I studied journalism at NYU. I wrote for Forbes for a really, really long time. So I've always kind of felt like my creative edge is, is the prep of it. Like, I will do the craziest things to find out anything about my guests. Like Reddit chats, oh yeah. 
I'm in there. Fate old Facebook things. I don't know who has that anymore. I feel like people think that Facebook is like a little bit condemning. So I feel like people don't have Facebook anymore. Twitter threads, you bet. Obviously, news searches, YouTubes, anything and everything that's ever come out about you, I'm compiling and making questions out of. And I think that's always really fun. I want my guests to come on and be like, huh, I've never been asked that before. Or even the Noma episode, I'd connected kind of two dots for her and she was like, whoa, I never thought about that. I never thought about me in that way. And that's always just such a gratifying moment. Like I made someone think, I made someone think about their life and their existence, or I made them think in a deeper way about their work in in whatever way. So that's always really exciting for me. And, And so yes, the prep is so important to me. We usually start about three weeks out just so we can start to like marinate on it, go slow, not feel like we're procrastinating. And we do full prep sheets. And usually, you know, the episodes are recorded at about an hour long. We try to edit them down to about 30, 40 minutes. But it's always a really, really fun thing to get to talk to different people and and watch the evolution of these questions come to life. That's always a really, really fun thing for me. Someone asked me what my favorite question to ask someone is. I've always been the biggest advocate for like, instead of, and maybe it's not my favorite question, but it makes, this is something that I think about often. Whenever you see a friend or for me, whenever I open a show, how can I say something other than how are you? Like, I feel like it's just so limiting. Like, and I also feel like societally, we've all been trained to be like, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for asking. My friend, Noor, who's also an incredible journalist and has her own show called The Process, will always reach out to me and be like, how's your heart feeling today? And that definitely warrants a more in-depth response from me. I feel like she's opening up the space for me to respond and be like, you know, I'm kind of feeling like shit today. Whereas, how are you? I don't know. I just feel like it's turned into its own world of small talk. So I don't think I have a favorite question per se, but when it comes to how are you, I'm always really excited to find new ways to be like, how are you feeling today? Or, you know, what's on your mind today? That's a question we open up the show with every week. So I think if you can find ways to really ask someone how they're feeling, the better. How do you navigate being your own boss? Oof, what a question. It is a challenge every single day, guys. I can't tell you how many times I wake up sometimes and I'm like, ah, would love to just maybe go to an office today and work with other people. And especially in COVID, I would say being your own boss can be particularly isolating. I definitely record the show by myself every day. I'm alone right now. All of our guests we've been speaking to virtually over Zoom. So it can be really isolating. And I think that's something that I've always wanted to advocate a bit louder for is being your own boss is like this like shiny and we all know it's like highly glamorized. And I feel like we've had this conversation a million times, but I would say the biggest, most important thing about being my own boss that I've learned is to surround yourself with a team. Madison Utendahl, who runs a creative agency, she's been on our show before. She gave me a great piece of advice, which was invest in your team. And it wasn't something that I really wanted to do when I was younger and starting out. I kind of wanted to invest my money in different areas. But this year, I've kind of taken that leap in investing in a few different team members that have really just made me feel seen. And I'm not alone in my office every day bouncing ideas off my own wall. I'm actually talking to a team who can be like, Olivia, that's a horrible idea. (laughs) So it's been great. You know, I think with being your own boss, it's every day is something different. This episode is brought to you by my trusty health sidekick, Sakara. Have you been looking to change your diet? Here's a radical idea. 
What if instead of imposing all these restrictions and limitations, you nourished your body and gave it more of what it really needs? Sakara believes in giving you more of what's good for you. And it's truly changed the way I eat. So I'm so excited to tell you about the benefits of what just one week of Sakara could feel like. Sakara is a nutrition company that focuses on overall wellness, starting with what you eat. Their organic, ready-to-eat meals are made with powerful plant-based ingredients and are designed to boost your energy, improve your digestion, and get your skin glowing. The menu of creative, chef-crafted, ready-to-eat breakfasts, lunch, and dinners change weekly, so you will never get bored. And it's delivered fresh to your door anywhere in the U.S. Along with delicious plant-rich meals, Sakara also offers daily wellness essentials, like supplements and herbal teas, to support your nutrition. And you can experience the transformative power of plants with their best-selling metabolism super powder. It's made with organic raw cacao. It works to boost energy, eliminate bloating, minimize sugar cravings, and reduce fatigue. Sounds perfect. Sakara has also received rave reviews from Vogue, Goop, The New York Times, and so much more. And you can include my name to that list. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash friend or enter code friend at checkout. That's Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash friend to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash friend. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about some personal questions. You guys are so sweet and have asked some really, really nice things. So the first one that came in was, what are the most pressing issues or challenges you're facing in your career right now? It's a great question. I think I am not alone in saying this, that probably everybody listening right now is facing some ounce of uncertainty in their industries. So whether that's like, you know, when are we going back into the office or do I have job security? I think everybody's facing a little bit of uncertainty. So I think we can all communally feel that way. But for me, I think the the ground underneath me is always shaking. I think that I think anybody that's in media can say that. Whether, you know, waking up one day and having TikTok, like, oh wow, suddenly I have to learn a whole new platform. I'm not doing that, guys. But you know what I mean? Like all these new platforms are constantly coming up and media is ever changing. So I think that's something that is always on my mind and kind of keeping me on my toes. So I think that's where I'm hitting kind of a challenge right now is that I don't know what the future looks like, especially during COVID, but I'm also 27 and and I'm really ambitious and excited. And I'm trying to put myself out there during that time period as well. You know, having you guys as a support system has been the most amazing thing and actually totally got me through COVID was just having the show every week. So it's always nice to have this to come back to. And I'm just excited to see it grow. What does success look like to you? Joe Holder on one of our episodes once said something to me that was so great and has stuck with me about the idea of success. Not about how much money you make, not about ticking all the boxes. It's totally not about that. He looked at me and he was like, success is about how much free time you can create, how much free time you can create to actually do the things that you want to do in life. And that has like latched on to me ever since. Um, I think if you can, if I can ever hit a success level in life where I have the time to travel, go camping, hang out with my family, um, I think that's the meaning of success. And I think so many of us are doing that now. You know, if you can find a balance in that, that's success to me. What are my goals for 2021? So I did something at the end of 2020, the day before New Year's, where I was like, oh my God, this year has been so shitty. And someone actually asked me this. They were like, how have you felt like you've accomplished like anything in the year that we've had? Totally valid, by the way. Like 
the doom and gloom of it all has been really, really tough. And I think it's so easy to be like, great, I sat at home all day and did nothing. Awesome. But what I did was I sat down with Alex and I said, let's write down every single thing we accomplished this year, big and small, whether it was like, oh, I had a fight with a friend and I overcame it, or we redid our kitchen ourselves, or, you know, he had a niece last year and that was so exciting. Or, you know, I hit a career pillar that I wanted to hit for a really long time. Like big and small, we wrote down everything. And that was so helpful in just like reframing all the good things about last year. The follow-up to that was like, okay, like let's set intentions for this year. And I actually enjoy the practice more of writing down all the things that you've accomplished in a year versus setting goals. I think setting goals for me has been something that like kind of gets lost in the wash, if I'm being honest, because other goals will come up or the goalpost is moved. So that's always been something that I'm just weary of. But I'm most focused right now on this community. I know I've said this many times, but it's just been so fun connecting with you guys and knowing that for 45 minutes, we have this time and space every week to talk about something really inspiring. So for me, finding ways to grow that community, finding ways to connect with you guys in different ways, since we can't connect in person, all of those things are really important to me, which is why I'm doing this episode. It's, you know, trial and error. Maybe you guys hate it. Maybe you love it. But, you know, it's just trying new ways to to open up my door a little bit for you guys to walk in. So community is a big one. Um, you know, last year was was really nice in terms of spending so much time with family. I haven't been able to do that like in a decade since I moved from New York. So I think that that's just, while that's always been a priority to me, it's not even a priority anymore. Like I just want it to be a part of my life. With that being said, I'm sure I'm not the only one right now that is having extreme anxiety about anything vaccine related and anything about kind of the world opening up again. I feel like my life, I'm sure so many of yours too, kind of 180'd that, that day in March. And since then, I've kind of done everything I could to protect myself from anything else that's scary. Like I've set my boundaries. I've kind of come with this new life. I'm cooking a lot. I'm seeing friends like outside in, in our backyard and I've adapted to that. So the idea of adapting back to like the 180 of life, which was, to be honest, like really extreme. And I feel like there were just so many things going on all the time. It's definitely a source of anxiety for me. So I think a goal for myself this year is to kind of step away from that and kind of let myself process things as they come. And, you know, if one day the floodgates open and everything goes back to real life, like I'm going to process that in my own time. And that's something that I'm actively thinking about is, you know, keeping that off my radar because I do think with all of our platforms, Twitter, the news, all these things, like it can get really overwhelming. Part of like my practice sometimes is like stepping away and taking some time, whether it's like to meditate or read or turning my phone off. Like all these things have been little boundaries for myself to not feel so overwhelmed by it all and not be, not really let it affect my psyche, even though it still does a lot. You know, at least I'm aware and I'm trying to kind of find ways to not let it. Okay, so now we're going to move to the end of the show. Lightning round. I'm going to answer some of these questions. Favorite dating advice in New York City? You will most likely not meet a guy at a bar. I remember the first piece of advice someone gave me once when I moved to New York was like, oh, around seven o'clock at night, like go down to the financial district, go to a bar. It's not happening, guys. I'm sorry. When will we get another season of succession? This kills me. I love that you guys associate me with succession. My sources tell me that they're filming now and we should expect something like in the fall, winter. I don't know how I'm going to survive till then. What's holding me over is that amazing Twitter account that just posts like succession memes all day. I hope it gives you guys some solace too. What are some of your favorites lately? These shoes. 
<laughs> especially if they have Sherpa in them. They're from Tamara Mellon. I'm obsessed with Augustinus Bader moisturizer. It's saved my skin right now because it's just been really dry in LA. And I would say anything like home inspired. Like I'm literally on Urban Outfitters all day, every day, trying to buy like all their cute home things. I'm obsessed with homeware probably because I'm just at home right now. What advice would you give your 18-year-old self? Blinders on. It's the advice that I give myself every day now. It is from the Defiant Ones. And it was, I believe, Jimmy Iovine talking about how racehorses have these blinders on because they can't look to their right or left and see the horses near them. They can only go towards their goal. And I always thought that was amazing because I think we have such the ability to like compare ourselves to each other and like do all those really negative things. So if you can keep your blinders on and just like go straight towards your goal and don't give a shit about what other people are doing around you, biggest piece of advice. What skill do you admire in others? Creativity, curiosity, and comedy. I'd say like, I'm not funny. Sorry, I'm not. But when people can make me laugh, I think that's like the best thing ever. And I also love people who are just so curious. Like if you're someone that can have a conversation with anybody under the sun and is excited about learning something new, like that to me is the coolest thing ever. It just means that you're curious about the world and you want to know more. Advice for people who are scared to launch something. Do it. I mean, be prepared. Like know all the like legal and financial ramifications that come with building a business. And if you're going to do it, make sure you have that backbone. Like you did the trademark, you have the domain, you have the website, the Instagram, all those things. Make sure you have them first set, locked, ready to go. But if you have all those things ready and the only thing that's holding you back is your own fear, you've got to build the bridge and get over it because all the best things are on the other side of that fear. What's the best piece of advice a friend has ever given you? Joe Holder said this to me once and it was that People search high and low for inspiration. People look everywhere. They go to retreats. They read books. They do all these things. But all the best advice and all the most creative ideas are going to come from sitting in a room with you and your friends just shooting the shit. I loved that. And it was a big reason. It's a big driving force behind this show. And I think it's true. I think the people you surround yourself with are the people that are always going to hold you up and support you. They're the people that are the most like-minded and will bounce ideas off of you and tell you when you're screwing up or when you're right. So instead of searching, just look to your neighbor and, and talk to them. And, and that source of community is the biggest, most incredible thing that you can ever get in terms of inspiration. Thank you all so much for tuning in. This was so much fun. I hope that I can be doing it more. I hope you like the show. If you have any feedback, again, hit me up, DM me, email me, write us a review, whatever it is. I'm here for you guys. And I can't wait to do more of these in the future. You know, I want to answer all your questions. I want to be a resource in any and every way. So if I can be and you guys want me to, I am here. And thank you all again. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week.